Good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, Sunnybank District Baptist Church Online again. It's good to see you all. You're all looking very good. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we're going to continue our series in the Minor Prophets. And today we're looking at Habakkuk. You need to clear your throat when you say it. Habakkuk. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the opportunity we have through some of the marvels of modern technology to be able to be meeting like this, still learning about you, still worshipping you, still connecting with one another. And we ask now, Lord, that you might, by again, by your Holy Spirit, take your word and open our minds and hearts to receive truth that our lives can be shaped as disciples of the Lord Jesus. We ask and pray this in his name and for his sake. And everybody said, Amen. Habakkuk, uh, I trust you've got your Bible open and you can follow along with me. I'm going to read a fair bit of the prophet today. He, uh, it's only a short book, three chapters, and so we'll see how we go. Uh, just in terms of background, you would have heard probably of King Josiah. He was a good king and started to reform um, in Israel, in Judah, uh, but died prematurely, very young, made a foolish decision, went into battle and got killed. He was succeeded by uh, a series of bad kings and Habakkuk, who is a contemporary of Jeremiah, is operating during an 11-year stretch of a king called Jehoiakim. Kim, like a Korean name, Jehoiakim. He was a worldly, selfish king. The nation's in decline. He decided it was time to extend the palace, to refurbish it. The Centrelink payments would have been cut in half in order to cover those, the expenses of those extensions. There was bribery throughout the nation, corruption, lawlessness, violence in the streets, gangs, people afraid to go out at night, just like it is for us. People would be having parties and doing all sorts of wrong things and there was a total disrespect for authorities and um, for any policing or government or anything. And Ultimately, it's the king who was leading the way in this debauchery. And so Habakkuk is speaking to the people at a time like this. So let's have a look at the book. This is the prophecy or the oracle of Habakkuk. This is the, the prophecy that he received. And let me say at the beginning, in case I forget, Micah, I said last week, mentioned streaming. Well, Habakkuk will talk to us about tablets. These guys are certainly contemporary, aren't they? Like iPads. The book opens with a very common dilemma. And Habakkuk, as a prophecy, is like uh, very different to the other ones as well. It's not so much him speaking to the people on behalf of God. It's him talking to God about a problem that he has, both with the people and then ultimately with God himself. He begins chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. This is Habakkuk's complaints. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you don't listen? Or I cry out to you, violence, but you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds it's everywhere. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice itself is perverted. Well, Habakkuk is raising a very common and contemporary problem. It's one of the leading issues for the Christian worldview of 
How can a good God allow bad things to happen? Why is there suffering in our world? How can God be patient with evil? And there are answers, and Habakkuk will help us this morning in moving towards some of those. Is it okay to ask God questions? Is it okay to complain to God like Habakkuk does? Well, my answer is yes, it is. It's okay to complain. Jesus did. He asked the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not okay to question God's character. It's not okay to question his sovereignty or his truthfulness. But to ask God questions and to express what you honestly feel and struggle with, God encourages that because he wants a real relationship with us. If it's in our mind, if we're thinking it, or it's in our hearts and we're feeling it, then that's just as loud to God as if we were saying it. And God certainly invites us to be open and honest with him. Just like in Psalm, many of the Psalms, Psalm 55 is one that comes to my mind. So Habakkuk is asking God questions. He's got a complaint and he's trying to get answers. That's always a good thing to do. Ask God. And often he will not always answer you, but often he will. Often he will give you a direction and an insight into what's going on. Um, Habakkuk's issues were both the moral state of the people of Judah, that they had really departed from God's standards, but he also had a problem with God, that God wasn't answering his prayers. God wasn't didn't seem to be doing anything, that this had gone on for years. Jehoiakim was king for 11 years, and so year after year after year got worse and worse and worse. And Habakkuk finally goes to God and says, I don't get it, what's going on? So we should take our questions to God. Um, and as I said, he may not always answer us, often he will. But what he would always do is refocus us refocus us from the issues or the things that concern us onto focusing on him and trusting him to work his way out, his will out. In this occasion, on this occasion, God does answer and we read the answer in verse 5. Um, the Lord says to Habakkuk, look at the nations and watch. Open your eyes, Habakkuk. Get a bigger picture. See what's going on. And you'll be utterly amazed, for I am doing something in your days that you wouldn't believe if I told you. Um, in fact, I am raising up the Babylonians. And then verses 6 to 11 of chapter 1 goes on to give some descriptions that God knows what sort of people the Babylonians are. Um, that they are ruthless in verse 6. In verse 7, they are feared and dreaded by all people. They promote their own honour. They're driven by their own greed and by violence in verse 9. They mock at kings and rulers in verse 10. They come and go with the wind. They're fast. They're a guilty people, verse 11. And they are reliant on themselves. Their strength is their God. They are self-idolaters. Well, God's answer to Habakkuk, how come, God, you're not doing anything? And God says, I am doing something. Just take a bigger look. You won't like what I'm doing but I am not indifferent and I'm not inactive. I am at work and I have my own schedule, my own timetable. Trust me. Now Habakkuk's got another problem. So we come to his second complaint in chapter 1, verse 12. Habakkuk says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. And you, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. 
you, my rock, have ordained them to punish us. And then he goes through various descriptions of God. And this one's common and famously quoted. He says of God, this is Habakkuk speaking. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Well, it's not quite true. God does look on evil. Nothing is hidden from his sight. But it is true, he doesn't like it. But it can't be hidden from him. He is a just judge. God, uh, Habakkuk's question is, why then do you tolerate the treacherous? How can you tolerate those Babylonians? They're worse than us. Why are you silent when they swallow up the righteous? How can you use them, God, is his question. And then Habakkuk himself goes on to talk about the Babylonians in verses 14 down to 15, 16. Um, and verse 17, he asks another question. Is Babylon going to keep on emptying his net? Are they going to just go on doing what they're doing, destroying nations without mercy? Will this ever end? And God is silent. No answer. So chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk says, I'm going to wait and see. I'm going to go on to my, stand on my watch, go to my prayer closet. I'm going to station myself on the ramparts and I'm just going to see what God does. Like Jonah went out and sat on the hills outside of Nineveh. I can't believe this is happening. I'm going to wait and see what God does. And what answer, in, verse, in the end of verse 1, he says, and what answer I am going to give to this complaint. It could be translated, if you have a look at your NIV footnotes, it says, uh, and what answer I'm going to give when I am rebuked. He's expecting God's correction for his directness. So let me summarise it quickly so far. Habakkuk asks the question, why doesn't God do something? God says, I am doing something, but you won't like it, let alone understand it. He's not indifferent. Um, I am moving to discipline and I will judge the guilty, but I will do it in my time and I'll do it in my way. And then Habakkuk's second issue is, how could you use them? You're righteous and holy and good. They're violent and proud and destructive and selfish and wicked. Will it go on and on without end, God? Are you in control? And silence, nothing. And so he retreats to his prayer closet and he waits. Not sure how long he waited, but in chapter 2, verse 2, and all of chapter 2, God answers him. And answers him in a way which is transforming for him and also helps him to mature, to come to a position of just relying fully on God, as we'll see. So chapter 2, verse 2, then the Lord replies... Habakkuk, leave your prayer closet and go back down onto the street and deliver the message that I'm going to be telling you. Write down the revelation. Make it plain on tablets. There's the word. Use your iPads. Get it out there. Of course, what Habakkuk means is write it on billboards. Maybe the billboards are actually on the walls of Jerusalem and maybe even the Babylonians, when they would attack, would be able to read these statements because in chapter 2 there is a transition where the Lord speaks not only about Babylon, but he speaks to Babylon. We'll notice that when we come to it. Habakkuk, get on with what I called you to do. Leave your 
watchtower and get down to the street and deliver the message that I'm giving you and make it in big plain print so that people, the reader, if they're in a hurry, they can read it or if they read it, then they'll be able to spread it and pass it on. And the message, of course, is Babylon is coming. Babylon is coming to Jerusalem. Babylon is coming to destroy. Chapter 2, verse 3, the Lord says, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. God is in control. He is working his plans out. The revelation speaks of the end, um, and it will not prove false. Though it lingers, wait for it. It will certainly come, and it will not delay. That's God's perspective. Babylon will eventually be destroyed, but it won't be Habakkuk probably in your lifetime. They would be destroyed, historically we know, in 539 BC. We also know Babylon will be destroyed again at the end of the age in Revelation 17 to 18. Their destruction is certain. It will come. God will call them to an account. And then in the rest of chapter 2, we get five woes, but there are also three stars shining in the midst of this. And the first bright light is in verse 4. It's a very famous verse, and you would have heard it and probably understood it in a different way. Verse 4 says, the Lord is speaking. See, the enemy, Babylon, is puffed up. They're proud and arrogant, self-sufficient. His soul or his desires are not upright, within him but the righteous person will live by his faith the enemy is arrogant and i will call them to account but those who follow me and trust me those who have faith in me will live god will keep us secure there is a debate amongst bible translators of should it be translated in a different way the righteous person will live by his faithfulness so is it by our faith in God or is it by us trusting his faithfulness? It's a subtle difference and for my mind doesn't make any difference. We trust his faithfulness. We trust that he will keep his word and that he will do as he says. We need to trust him. And in the process of doing that, we will live. He will help us to survive. If not in this life, then certainly in the next. Then God goes on to describe this nation of Babylon. And as I said, there are five woes. God certainly sees into their hearts and into their attitudes and their motives. He says in verse 5 that they are arrogant and never at rest. They're as greedy as the grave and like death, they're never satisfied. Babylon gathers to himself all nations and takes captives the people, or enslaving people. A bit like the millionaire who was asked, how many million dollars do you need? How many is enough? And he said, just one more. Babylon is the same. There's no end. They've got an insatiable appetite to conquer uh, and to set up a glorious kingdom. Verse 6, God goes on and challenges them and says, the people you've captured they will eventually taunt you with ridicule and scorn. Woe, warning to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. You ask, how long will this go on? For a limited time. And notice God talks about Babylon, but now he's going to speak to them. He'll refer to them as you. 
your creditors. Verse 8, because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. What you've done to others will return upon your head. It may take centuries to work out, but it will happen. Or the end of verse 8, for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands, cities, and everyone in them. The Babylonians were well known for their scorched earth approach. When they came in, they killed not every, every man, woman and child, those that they didn't enslave, they slaughtered. But they killed all the animals and they destroyed all the plants and all of the crops, scorched earth. Nothing would be left. And that was what was troubling Habakkuk. How could God use a people who were so destructive, so violent? Verse 9, the second woe. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain. They're greedy. You've plotted the ruins of many peoples in verse 10. Verse 12 is the third woe. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed. They're violent. And they establish their towns or cities with injustice and crimes. Then there was a second star. The first one was verse 4. The just will live by faith. The righteous person will trust God. Verse 14. Babylon might have wanted to establish a kingdom that was glorious. But the reality is, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Babylon will be gone in time and God will establish his kingdom and the knowledge of his glory and his fame will be worldwide as the waters cover the sea. Ultimately, God will rule and reign. Regardless of what we see going on in the world, God will win. God will work his purposes out. Verse 15. Fourth woe. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbours, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that they can gaze on their naked bodies. They're immoral. They're manipulative and deceitful. So God says in verse 16, Now it's your turn. You too will drink and your nakedness will be exposed. The cup of the Lord's right hand, his wrath, is coming round for you to drink. Your time will come. What you did to others will be done to you. It's the law of sowing and reaping that the scriptures talk about. You've plundered, so you'll be plundered. You've been greedy, so people will come and take all of your wealth. You've been violent, so you will be destroyed. You've been immoral, so you'll pay the penalty for that. And the Lord concludes chapter 2 by addressing their idolatry. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman? Or what image or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes them trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe, verse 19. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life. Or to a lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver and there's no breath in it. Babylon, up until this point, may have been successful, but they are spiritually foolish. They're spiritually blind. So verse 20 concludes, The Lord is in his holy temple. He is on the throne. Let all the earth be silent before him. Let all the earth, all nations, silent before him. For unbelievers, you will stand before him and you'll be silent and scared. But for the believer, 
we wait for our God to work his purposes out. And verse 4, we trust him. Verse 14, we know him. And verse 20, we rest in him. It's a beautiful um, verse in Psalm 123, verse 2. It's the picture of a, a servant. As the eyes of the servant look to the hands of their master, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has favour upon us. I'm going to look to God and trust him as he works his purposes out in my life. Well, Habakkuk is silent, has been silent. He has been listening to what God has been revealing to him and that's the message that will be communicated to Judah and to Babylon. And now in chapter 3, when Habakkuk speaks again, he's different. He speaks in a different way. Babylon is coming, but he's no long, Habakkuk is no longer distressed about that. Rather, he is singing. And chapter 3 is a psalm. It's a prayer, but it's set to music. Verse 1 says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigayanoth. Not that we know too much about what Shigayanoth is, but the best guess is that put this to music, to lively, stirring music. Here is a song which will demonstrate truth and God's ultimate victory. At the end of the book, the very last line is, for the director of music on my stringed instruments, plural. So this is a, a song. This is something to be sung. And what Habakkuk does is he looks back over history. He remembers his Bible stories and how God had worked in the past. He says in verse 2, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. I'd love to see him again. Repeat them, God, in our day. Do it again. In our time, make them known. Lord, can we see your power and your miracles like you did when you delivered your people from Egypt? Can you come again and rescue us? And Lord, I know wrath is coming, but in wrath, remember mercy. Please be merciful to us because if the Babylonians come, we will be decimated. There'll be nothing left. God have mercy on us and then he goes from um, in three stanzas firstly he talks about God in an objective sense God did this and God did that in verse uh, three and following it talks about the exodus that God came from Teman and the holy one from Mount Paran uh, this is God coming and entering Egypt to deliver his people where God displayed his power and his presence uh, verse five Plagues went before him, pestilence followed in his steps. Remember the plagues on Egypt? Um, the mountains shook. The end of verse 6 talks about God marches on forever. God marched out of Egypt to victorious. Verse 7, the uh, neighbouring nations of Cushan and Midian were in distress or anguish. Fear gripped them as the Israelite people were approaching them as they went to Sinai and then into potentially into the promised land, but they went into the, uh, the wilderness for that 40-year period. And then Habakkuk changes from talking about God in the objective sense to the personal God. Were you angry with the river's Lord? 
was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea? And when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory, he's talking about the Red Sea. And he's looking back on history and remembering the great acts of God. In verse 10, it's um, when the waves stood up on high, when they marched through the Jordan River or the Red Sea. Verse 11, the sun and moon stood still in the heavens. Remember the story of Joshua? Or in verse 12, God strode through the land and conquered the land of Canaan for his people. Um, as he says in verse 13, you came out to deliver your people and to save your anointed one. Verse 14, remember the story of Sisera? With your own spear, you pierced his head. Um, you trampled on the things. And down to verse 15, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waves. God, you've been active in our world. You've been victorious. You're a God to be feared and respected. You're someone to be trusted to work your purposes out. Verse 16 and following, God did this. Lord, you did that. This is what I'm going to do. This is his response. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Um, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. I'm excited. I'm shaking with anticipation but I am resolved that I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Babylon is coming, but I know you've got it in control. And when they come, they will decimate us. And Habakkuk says this beautiful part of this song, though the fig tree does not bud because the Babylonians have destroyed it and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. There's no sheep in the pen and there's no cattle in the stalls because the Babylonians have killed trees and crops and animals all life. Verse 18, yet I will trust in the Lord. I'll rejoice in him and be joyful in God, my saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights, uplifted, excited, trusting him. Upset and distressed by what goes on in the world around me, but still rejoicing and trusting God in our heart, secure in him. When the worst things happen, that's what we can do, trust and rely on him. Habakkuk certainly has moved from being frustrated and troubled in chapter 1 to being contented and trusting in chapter 2. God doesn't settle, settle all of his counts quickly. Somebody said he doesn't settle them at the end of every week. He doesn't send the, settle his accounts at the end of every month. God is very slow to anger. He's patient. From our perspective, God is slow. He takes his time. A thousand years to God is like a day. And a day is like a thousand years. So as far as God is concerned, from his perspective, it's been a weekend since Jesus was here. Two days. So God moves slowly in our world and time, but he does move surely and certainly. He does settle accounts and he will, and he is patient. So the best answer to Habakkuk's dilemma and to our dilemma when we question God about why is a relationship with God, an encounter with God, where he can explain to us and reveal to us that he is the sovereign God who is working his purposes out. Let me finish by saying, asking you this. Is God loving? Yes. Is God powerful? Yes. And he's able to help. 
Will God stop evil? Yes. When? Soon. From his perspective. But he will do it. And until then, he is faithful, he is true, he is sovereign, and he is just. He is patient. And we are to take him seriously and to do what he says. If you are asking the question, why? Why is this happening to me? Or how could God allow this to happen? Let me suggest that you change the question from a why. By all means, ask God and see if he will enlighten you. But also ask the question, what? Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? What do you want me to do because of this? Is there something you're wanting to say to me? Are you trying to get my attention? Well, the book of Habakkuk is a small book, but it contains these wonderful truths. There is progression for Habakkuk, and there can be for us, from wrestling and worrying and questioning to trusting and fully surrendered to the sovereign God who is working his ways out. Let me encourage you to read through the book of Habakkuk, take note of God's attributes, make a list of them. And as you come to him in prayer, remind yourself, like Habakkuk did, of who God is, what he's capable of. And then as you read through that list, let that lead you into prayer. And we're going to pray now. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, question, imagine, or even think. And we ask, we desire, Lord, that you're the one who gets the glory in our lives in our church, in our world, and forever. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.